This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, Disney Channel Original Movies, and much, much more uh, we talk about here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, you can find reviews of shorts dating back to the 1920s, and, of course, the show notes for this very show, which I'm sure you're going to want to go and follow as you listen to the show. It's, it's a multimedia experience that you don't want to miss out on. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts the people that you have come to know and love and rely on for your filmic expertise. We have, first of all, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who knows how to stoke the tinder. I do. You pick up the log, you put it in, you poke it. That's Yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. <laughs> so we probably all know how to do that, but I just thought, you know, it's, it's sort of a mechanical engineering sort of a thing. I'm getting off a big shanty. Um, oh, cool. Then you can probably walk to my house. <laughs> I know, like, this place basically goes, this whole story goes right through your house, basically, right? It, it, pretty much, yes. Uh, and also joining us, of course, uh, from all sites on the interweb except Wikipedia. Um, she does not contribute there, I don't think. Uh, yeah. Rachel Gold. Yes, yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, just an FYI, I had some new reviews go up on uh, justpressplay.net, uh, some brand new ones uh, for some animated films, some stuff from the History Channel, a couple features, so definitely go over and check that out. Yep, go uh, go check out all the stuff there over at uh, at Just Press Play and the seven other websites that, that Rachel writes for. If you follow her on Twitter, which you should, then she usually tweets out the post or, or posts them on Facebook, right, Rachel? Yes. Yeah, they're always out on my Twitter, which is at Rachel E. Kolb. And it's good stuff. If you like listening to Rachel on the show, you should go check out her, her written stuff, too. And, of course, the producer of this program, the person who keeps us on schedule, much like the trains in this movie, is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. She keeps things running on time, uh, and we appreciate that greatly. You can find her on Twitter, at Cheryl P3. How are you, Cheryl? Good, and I'm 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 one of those Kentucky men that was plainly from Massachusetts. Ah, <laughs> uh, the the yeah, I don't I don't think that was a well thought out plan, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, in case you couldn't tell, tonight we are talking about the 1956 Disney film, The Great Locomotive Chase. It is the story of Andrew's raid uh, that took place during the Civil War. Uh, as Todd mentioned, it took place about two miles from my house. So I grew up knowing a ton about this movie. I've probably seen it. I think I watched it this week for the 15th or 16th time. 
this is this is lore that we that we uh, here in in Georgia hear about all the time. Um, we we hear more about the Civil War sometimes than we want to, but this is um, the. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with the film, but uh, it stars Fess Parker as James Andrews. It was a modest hit for Disney. Um, you know, made 1.7 million dollars box office in 1956, which doesn't sound like much when you're hearing, you know, Avengers making billions. But uh, in in 56, that was a pretty good, pretty good hit. Not a blockbuster, but but did okay. It. The film was mainly uh, a vehicle for Fess Parker, so this was like right after the Davy Crockett phase. So this was Disney trying to sort of take advantage of that. They had already cut uh, some of his Davy Crockett episodes into a quote-unquote film, which you might have seen on TCM over the holidays. But it, it this is this is the first film that Fess Parker did for Disney that was a, an original production, not just uh, recutting of the TV stuff. Yeah, I would say the one big disappointment to me in um, how this character, James J. Andrews, is portrayed by Fess Parker is I looked up some pictures of the real-life James J. Andrews, and he had quite the beard. Yes, he did. <laughs> and there was no beard. <laughs> no, there wasn't. Not not at all. <laughs> also, I mean, this, my opinion, this is not Fess Parker's strongest role. No, no. I would agree. I mean, I think the thing that you have to go into knowing about this movie is that it's not – this is not like a really dramatic film. It's very straightforward, very simple. Um, if you know the story of, of Andrew's raid, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in, in a minute, it doesn't portray the majority of the story. It's just sort of an overview of of what happened in yeah. during the civil war <laughs> yeah in, in fact like there were like like 18 different stops along the way but they only show like four in the movie right yeah and in really a lot of the stuff that happens earlier in the movie they sort of take they take some liberties with it it's not that none of it happened it's that you know like that might not have happened here or what or it wasn't as big a deal as it's portrayed in the movie and things like that so most important thing i think is that on the actual day of the event it was raining hard all day not just the night before correct correct so let's talk briefly uh some history about uh what andrew's raid is for those of you who may not be familiar with it um i always you know i grew up with it so i know i know way more about it um there's actually as as we've said a couple of times uh the museum of the southern museum of locomotive and civil war history is located about six or seven miles from my house here in i live in marietta georgia which if you watch the film uh that is where the the beginnings of this this raid took place it started in uh, i've actually been in the building where the andrews raiders uh spent the night before they jo- joined the train the station is not there but the building uh where it would have been is is there and there's a marker there and and all that sort of stuff um i go to church right across the street from there actually so i see it quite a bit uh but the the raid itself was andrews led this party of northerners down to basically hijack this the the railway between atlanta and chattanooga and the the idea was they were going to steal a train and tear up the tracks all the way along um from atlanta to chattanooga at the same time that the generals from the north mitchell specifically were going to attack at chattanooga and the idea being if the railway was torn up then they couldn't get 
reinforcements and the Northern Army would be able to take Chattanooga and then force their way southward. Yeah. Also supplies and ammunition. That's right. while they wouldn't be able to get, yeah. And um, so it's important to note, I know a lot of, some of you who know Civil War history a little bit are, are going, uh, wait, didn't the Northern Army actually do this? They pushed down through Atlanta? They did, but not for three, three years after uh, Andrew's raid in 1862. Yeah, in fact, this whole event is considered to have had zero impact on the war. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, yes. Which is not something they tell you when they tell you the lore when you grow up around here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's very – it's odd because, right, because it's northerners invading the south, but it became like this uber legend down in the south. In- oh, yeah. Well, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it, it's a big legend. The entire um, trip, so to speak – I don't know what else to call it, right? Uh, lasts about seven hours and uh, was 87 miles of track. Yeah. Approximately, so that's why that's why I said it's you know the movie like covers like four or five locations and there's you know eighteen or twenty in reality. So, right. but the movie covers most of the major points along the way. But there's some things that like there's some stuff when they when they make their their stop, uh, for example, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the the plot um, that they don't actually explain very well as to why things were the way they were. Um, so one of the things to, to understand about the Civil War and locomotives is, you know, this is when trains are just becoming a big part of the livelihood of, you know, how the country transports uh, goods and items and ammunition, just like you said, Todd. And the difference, one of the main differences between the North and the South during the Civil War was the fact that the Northerners nationalized the railroads and and said, you know, all the railroads are in service to the Northern Army, whereas the South did not. And that was one of one of the things that was a huge benefit to the North. So just at the same time that Andrew's raid is taking place on this, you know, you've got freight trains that are completely going at cross purposes with the the Southern trains. Uh, So it was sort of a it sort of demonstrates the difference between the two and their tactics. Uh, Interesting. Well, you know, like the um, the actual train. Right, which is uh, the the Wilson? That's in not the general, but the one that depicts it is the William Mason. That's actually a northern train used to depict the the southern train in the movie. So yes, trust me, I've heard that before. That we have this Yankee train in the movie. <laughs> Yankee train. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the general is the is the train that was actually stolen. So to to talk about the raid real quick, the the. Andrews Raiders got on the train and in Marietta, uh, they, they, the regular northbound passenger train. They stopped at Big Shanty, Georgia, which is where the museum that I mentioned earlier, the Southern Museum of uh, Locomotive and Civil War History is. When they stopped there, um, the way that railroads worked at the time, there was no dining cars or anything like that. So the railroads would stop for breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, refueling, that sort of a thing. And so this was the breakfast stop in, in Big Shanty, and the, if you go to Big Shanty today, it's Kennesaw, Georgia now, but if you go there, you can see where the museum is, where the depot was, and right across the street, there is, in fact, a cafe called the Whistle Stop Cafe, uh, where they serve really good fried chicken, like you see in the movie. Yeah. Now, they, they picked Big Shanty because, uh, in reality because it did not have a telegraph to right. begin with. That's that's the main reason why they picked that as a point of attack. Correct. And so while while the people, the conductor and everybody who and the engineer and everyone were eating breakfast, Andrew's team basically just drove off with the train 
and because they could not radi- the they could not telegraph up uh, up the line, uh, Andrews Raiders stopped, cut the telegraph line, and their idea was they were going to go all the way up to Chattanooga, like we said, and tear up the tracks. Yeah, one of the other big differences between the North and the South when it came to railroads in the Civil War is the Northerners actually went out at the beginning of the war and found themselves a railroad man who was also an army man who would help them figure out the best ways to destroy track. And the Southerners did not do that. So they would try to figure out ways to destroy the tracks uh, of the of the South, uh, or the Southerners would try to figure out ways to destroy the track that would be um, less effective, shall we say. And so that's one of the things that they say the movie actually gets wrong is that the Northerners actually did a fairly good job at destroying the tracks, uh, whereas the Southerners would not w- – what's portrayed in the movie is actually a little bit more like what the Southerners di- would do, which is like just laying railroad ties across the track or peeling up one rail. The Northerners would actually take the rails and hammer them around poles and trees so you could not actually get them loose to, to put them back down. So just a little Civil War trivia there. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but the, the, the big thing, the reason why this is such a legend and the movie portrays this is that after Andrews Raiders took off from the hotel, uh, William Fuller, who was the conductor, actually chased them on foot, hand car, and then commandeered a locomotive, uh, one, one small locomotive and then another larger locomotive, and chased them – you know, like we said, 80, 80 some odd miles and, and caught the Raiders for, for what they were. And so William Fuller, even though he was a Confederate is still seen as like this guy who did this heroic thing, um, which has actually always been my problem with the movie is the guy that does the most heroic thing in the movie by traditional film standards is the Confederate guy. (laughs) Well, it's nothing bad though, but I, what I like is that it really, um, of all the, parts of the movie his his ability to like steal the platform track and then use that and then swap trains three or four times that's all really happened yeah so yeah i like the fact i liked when he gets the kid and, and, and gets the kid along with him and as a kid do his telegraphing from from the, from the train <laughs> yeah he's very resourceful yeah. yep yeah. Yeah, in fact, the the kids, uh, not that not that kid, but the other kid who was the fire the fire guy in the train, the Confederate train there, the one that was going backwards most of the time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he actually wrote like a whole commentary about how Pittenger's work, who this is based on, whose work this is based on. He didn't like a lot of the thing, ways that he told stuff, so he wrote a whole commentary piece on it that you can read. I wonder yep. why. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you know the, they, the history is told by the people who write the books, right? So yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's also important now. I want to say because I, I I know this will probably come up, but what this movie is about besides this is it's about the this is the first event of the awarding of the Medal of Honor. Yes, right. Yep. Uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Some people might know it as also, but it's really said either way. But the important thing is, in the movie, William Pittenger is depicted as being the first recipient, and he is not in real life. Right. So I think we should probably just say that is is the real life the real life person who is one of the men from the North who was in this movie is Jacob Parrott. I don't know which one he actually is though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not most of the guy, most of the people in the movie besides Fess Parker are sort of indistinguishable. <laughs> yeah, I, it, this is not a character piece. You're not going to learn a, a great deal about any of the characters. This is strictly an Pitt, action other, thing. Other than maybe Pittenger. 
the the Pinger and two of the other guys. Campbell and Andrews are the ones that you learn the most about. Yeah. The North guys, it, like, because there's a big surly guy that we learn about. In, that's, Cam- that's Campbell. And in real life, Campbell was actually a civilian, not a soldier. Correct. He and Andrews yeah. were both civilians, so they did not get awarded the Medal of Honor, but the rest of the Raiders did. Yes. The rest, the rest of the guys in this movie, it kind of reminds me of... Um, I'm blanking on the name of the movie that we re- reviewed, but it's the one where they're going down the river and they're doing all the... Ten um, Who Dared. Yes. Yes. It reminds me very much of Ten Who Dared. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Of course, I had seen this many more times before we watched Ten Who Dared, but yeah, I thought the same thing when I was watching it, is that this is, this is very much a random bodies of people instead of actual characters. Um, and I think that's fine because the this is a plot movie, this is not a. This is not about characters or people making decisions or things like that. Like this is very much just about how do we move the plot forward. That's the whole yes. idea of the film, and that's totally fine because that's they're they're pretty upfront about that from the very beginning. I also think it's a fast way of portraying the event through history's eyes. Oh yeah, because I I really had no 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 knowledge of this event particular event because again yeah. I've lived up north all my life. I but um, right. but. So it was really a fast way of portraying this event, which could have been, and they could have done it much, I hate to say it, this could have been much longer or much worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is much tighter than 10 Who Dared. If they had actually done all of the stops, then it would have probably felt like the 10 Who Dared. I think it could have been a really good action movie if they did all 18 stops or so. so. <laughs> Or if they did, yeah, I think I think there's things that they could have tweaked here and there, but but like you guys are saying, it's really a tight film, and that's probably why I've seen it so many times is because you know not only just because I live here, but like my son when he first watched it when he was much much younger, um, probably four or five, like he loved it because he loved trains, he loved you know he he knew all the towns that they were talking about because he's driven past them a hundred times, you know, so he really enjoyed this movie when he was younger, and we watched it a lot together. So that's the other thing I would say is like there's nothing. Nothing off the top of my head I can think of that's that's really objectionable in the movie if you have if kids to watch it with. Yeah, I, there's nothing nothing objectionable. However, it is missing something I think that's very important in a movie like this, where you're dealing with this big elaborate plot that, you know, crosses many different cities, which is we need the Indiana Jones map shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well there's lots like you uh, before we recorded, you sent us the map, Rachel, and there's yes. lots of sites that actually walk you through that same map mm-hmm. to tell you like how things actually went down so you can tell where the movie is in and out. So if people want to research this, I'll put a lot of links in the show notes for people to just kind of like, you know, go to town on whatever they want on it. Yeah, I think this would actually make for a really good remake. I'm not saying that they have to remake it, but I think that I think if they made it today, I think this could be really good. With Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I all think right, would, all right, all right. I think it would also. I think it would be a really hard remake. Um, for my guys, because they'd have to put. They'd have to put all these lines up for them to cut. Because I because because like the telegraph lines that that don't don't exist anymore. This this was a Disney movie that, and you can tell it's low budget. I think they were probably cutting the same line every single shot that they cut the line in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Probably. I'm, I'm a thing. I, I, this, and also, um, regarding the schedules regarding railroads these days, because, you know, they're totally different. I, I'm not sure if they could actually 
find some railroad oh, they can well. use. This this is actually filmed on the Tallulah Falls Railway, which has actually been abandoned since the 1960s. Yes, it has. <laughs> so uh, they could go back and film on the same location if they wanted to, without any without any incidents. Well, I think I think you were, we're we're talking about the fact that you know, like, there's nothing objectionable in the movie and all those sorts of things. But I think if you were to go back today and remake this as sort of a drama slash action picture, you could address some of the things that they don't really touch on in the movie, which is like, why is why are we fighting a civil war? That part's not discussed. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, also, you know? can I be honest? The plan that they're supposed to be following is never actually really well covered. Correct, yeah. So yeah. it's really hard to tell what they're trying to actually accomplish the entire movie. I mean, I know because I know the story, but it's, you know what I mean? It's just because it's not there, you lose out on it, I think. Yeah, well, well it's all given in a very big exposition dump, which, once again, right. this is why we need visual aids with this. We need a map. We need something. Like, even just, like, have the map and show, like, the plan as the guy's talking about it. Yeah. I, I did want to mention, by the way, one thing we did not say is that this is actually the only locomotive chase of the Civil War. Well, and there, there's a good reason for that, because... One of the things that we don't recognize today is the fact that when – during the Civil War, like it's not like there was a northbound track and a southbound track like there is today in railroads. There was one track. So if you were going to chase somebody on the track, you had no way of knowing except for the telegraph that there was a southbound train coming. So you couldn't actually chase anybody because if you tried to, you would actually run into them or run into a southbound train. So there, you know, at the time, that that's one of the things they don't really give you the background on in the movie. Like the reason why the Raiders were so slow and why they got caught up to is because they had to stick to the timetable that had been established for the train that they had stolen. So they yes. couldn't actually like race ahead <laughs> because if they yeah. did, they would crash headlong into a southbound train. It's also yep. why the other train doesn't turn around because there's no place for it to turn around except at the end of the line, so it has to go right. backwards to chase them. Um, oh, I want to mention one more thing, too, that, uh, that Fuller is played by Jeffrey Hunter, right? And, uh, it's, and you know, who probably uh, Disney fans, you know, this is Disney podcast, probably are most familiar with him from The Great Movie Ride, as Martin, Van, Martin, uh, whatever his name is from the Searchers. Ah, yes, right. Also, Captain Pike from Star Trek. Also, we're gonna say currently. Currently, yes. We don't know how that's gonna change. That's yes. true. Uh, well, we never know when when someone may be listening to this podcast episode. Although there are plenty archives of that movie online that people can watch if they want to. So. True enough. Yeah, so let's let's start talking about the movie, and we can talk about some of the things that they've diverged from, and, and some of the the, the historical stuff. Because, like we said, there's not a lot. They they really don't touch on the the reasons why there's a war or, or any of that sort of stuff in here. This is a straight up like action plot about you know two warring armies, uh, and they don't touch on the fact that you know there's there's slavery involved and all these sorts of things. So I think from that standpoint, it actually makes the movie a little more quote unquote disnified. Yeah. Which is not a thing that I often cop to on Disney films, but in this case it's it's totally true. <laughs> but I don't okay. think it again, I don't I, I really don't see it's missing. I mean we can yeah. we, we you can tell it's missing, but it's not like it's like you're not incomplete because they didn't put it in. I agree. Yeah. 
I agree completely. I mean, that's not the point of the movie, yeah. so it's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they did depict slavery at a couple points in the movie without actually, um, you know, stating what's going on. That's right. That's right. All right. So the film opens as most Disney films do with the uh, with an illustration and a book and the closing and to see the cover of the book. <laughs> yeah, very common in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. Well, this is this is only Disney's eighth, I believe, live live action film that they had ever produced. So this is this is one of their earlier films, and again, like you said, it's very clearly low budget. They were trying to, as they would do so often uh, in later years, take advantage of Fess Parker's TV popularity. You know, they would do the same thing with Annette, with with several other people. So that's it, it's very clearly, you know, like, hey, what? Let's go into the bag of tricks. What do we know? And it opens with. Uh, William Pittenger's book, and he's the narrator of the film. And Pittenger is in D.C. and being awarded the Congressional Medals of Honor by the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. And But Pittenger doesn't feel like he deserves the honor or he feels regret or something of that nature. And the rest of the movie is told in flashback because he starts talking about James Andrews and the events that, that he's being awarded the medal for. And so one, we have the first meeting between Pittenger and Andrews is um, they've been ordered to, to guard Nashville, and you see them just sort of sitting around a camp and, and trying to do some of those things. They run into Andrews, and Andrews sort of gives them a little grief for not – you know because they're all saying how they want to go fight, and Andrews sort of gives them a little grief of, you know, you probably don't actually want to fight <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you thought about it for a few minutes. You probably don't want to do that. Uh, but Andrews is on the way to visit their general, which is uh, General Ormsby McKnight Mitchell, who's an actual northern general. And so Andrews goes to visit him, uh, and turns out that Andrews is, in fact, a spy. So he's a civilian who poses uh, as a Confederate sympathizer to get information for the Union. And, and, and Southern blockade runner. That was part of what he was. You're right. You're right. And he, they, they have a conversation where they basically, you know, confer. And as it turns out, General Robert E. Lee, who you probably all know, and General Beauregard, um, Lee is in Virginia, Beauregard's in Tennessee. They are connected by one stretch of railroad, which is this stretch from Atlanta to Chattanooga. Uh, and the idea is that Mitchell is trying to say, how can we figure out, how can we find a way to to take out that stretch of railroad? So that they can't reinforce each other if, like, for example, if Mitchell were to go and to attack Beauregard in Tennessee. And so they come up with this plan, which is they're going to go and sabotage the railroad. He's going to sneak – Andrews will – at first he says he's not going to do it, but he gets talked into it by, uh, by Mitchell. And he's going to sneak a group of people into uh, Georgia – get on the railroad, hijack a train, and tear up the tracks, basically, burn the bridges between Atlanta and Chattanooga. So Atlanta is where most of the regiments would get on to come to Chattanooga to help reinforce Beauregard. So that's the plan. It's I, I'm with you guys. Like This is a just an expo dump scene, uh, and it's not exceptionally clear like why they want to sabotage the railroad and, and all of that. It's also a terrible map. Like that map he pulls down <laughs> is the worst map on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Not to scale at all. 
Yeah, no, not a good map at all. So the, that night, Andrews uh, gathers a group of men, you know, a, a, alongside the river there, and he tells them what their their plan is, which is they're going to pose as um, Confederate sympathizers who are headed south from Kentucky, from Flemingsburg, Kentucky, who are th- are headed south to join the the Southern Army. And they're they're to travel, you know, in groups of twos and threes, meet behind enemy lines in Marietta, Georgia, and that's where they will rendezvous, hop on the train, and they will then, you know, hijack the train along the way. And he asks if anybody wants to to back out, but but they don't. And so the next thing we see is Pittenger headed uh, down the trail with William Campbell, who is this big burly guy who is a definite. Uh, what would you say? He he dislikes Southerners quite a bit. Yeah, he's a pain. Yeah. Head. Yes, and it's funny because he says and like several times he says, "Look, you guys don't have to do this. You don't have to come along with me. You're going to have to pretend to be, you know, Confederate sympathizers." Apparently, he just completely missed what that's actually going to look like because in all the scenes where they have to pretend to actually be Southerners, he he is just. Not having any of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That always bothered me too. I'm like, you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty clear about it, but yeah. Yeah. No well, I, I guess they overdid his position in the movie because he was not. He was more about the mission in the uh, in real life. So. Yeah. That's- it seemed to me that he had been ordered to do it. Like he, because he, because if you follow him later, they he they like he calls himself as one of the people that's an army man. So maybe he thought like that was an order. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I have no idea to this guy's psyche, but yeah. Again, it's for the movie because in real life he was not a soldier, so he he could have done whatever he wanted. He decided to do this and well die. So. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> that's, that's the end result. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the next the next bit of the of the film that we, we really track the characters in is they they it's raining and so they come to uh, a part in the river where they can't get the ferryman to take them over because they can't find him and they go to an inn nearby and at first the the lady doesn't want to let them in but when they tell them that they're you know sympathizers from Flemingsburg, Kentucky and they're going to join the Southern Army, all of a sudden she lets them in and feeds them <laughs> fried chicken. Yes, yep. which is which is I would say negative reinforcement. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is fried chicken, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying, like if you're if you're you know if you I, I guess in that case this lady actually wants them to join the Southern Army, but for them I would I would definitely take away from that like hmm they might eat better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is one of the interesting points in the movie because um, you know in the movie there's only 16 men. But in reality, there's 24 men, and I like how they cut the middle when when they say, "Oh, there's about 20 of us." Right. So. Well, and you know, in in real life, we have no record of of them doing this particular bit, which is they show up at the end, they're eating dinner with everyone, they tell everyone they're from Flemingsburg and that they're going to join the army, and all of a sudden Andrews shows up here, and yeah. so of course they have to pretend not to know each other. And again, like in real life, there's no record of the, of any of the conspirators actually meeting up with each other uh, on the uh, Marietta. Right, meeting up, no, but uh, this that the inn in real life was where Andrews lived. Yes. So yes, that's, that's, that's right. 
that's why it's in the movie. I think they just kind of rewrote it to be what it was in the movie, though. Yeah. Also, we learned Damn Yankees is not a swear. Uh, not according to Southerners. And <laughs> this is, most Southerners have moved past that at this point. But yeah, at this, in, in that point in history, that was, uh, that was true. And Andrews brings word of, of the Battle of Shiloh, which is also funny because that's near where my wife grew up. <laughs> so pretty much everything in this movie took place either uh, on screen near where I grew up or off screen near where uh, my wife grew up. Uh, but basically he exaggerates that the Battle of Shiloh was a big victory for the Southerners. Uh, it was a victory, but it wasn't quite as big as he makes it out to be um, to the Southerners. And they all join in a chorus of Dixie, which for William Campbell is sort of frustrating, humiliating all in one. It, he does not want to do it, but he ends up actually belting out a chorus of it after everyone else <laughs> stops singing. <laughs> and so they, they go up to their room that night. And this is, as far as I know, that is the only mention of slavery in the movie, which is, he says, Campbell says that, you know, he's sorry for what he, for, you know, not really for begrudgingly getting on board with the whole thing, but that, you know, it just – it really irks him to have to pretend to support slavery. And I don't recall any other mention of, of slavery in the film. Yeah, not a mention, but there, there are people who appear to be slaves a couple other points in the movie, but there's no mention of I think there that. may be one other mention when they're at the bacon run. Oh, it might be. might be. The, the bacon breakfast. Well, I there's like there's. Call, I just don't know what to call that. I'm just gonna yeah. keep calling it that. Well, and there's there's a there's a servant like at the inn, right? Like there's a servant who yeah. serves the food, and right. we're basically told is the cook. And the implication is that she's a slave, but we don't you know, like they never yeah. come out and say it. Yeah, agree. Yeah, and the the bigger implication is that she is a quote unquote like happy slave. She's yeah. she's totally on board with the whole slavery thing. So, right. which, yeah, we, we again, we have no documentation, so who knows what the one would assume that's not the case, but you know, we don't know. Uh, and so the next bit of the film is when is when they actually make it to Marietta. They get on a, a train uh, where Campbell is getting angry with everyone singing songs of Confederate nature. Uh, and then they have Robert Buffum, who is one of the conspirators, and the only reason we know his name is because he has a Boston accent, and he actually says something, and Andrews makes fun of him because of his Boston accent, you know, that he's never heard a Kentuckian who sounds like they're a Yankee, and that, that actually saves them from this crazy Confederate soldier who looks like he's just as willing to shoot them as he would be to shake their hands. <laughs> Which is a very southern trait, by the way. <laughs> Fair. I, I know a lot of people who were like that. Yes. He also forces them to sing Sons of Old Dan Dinah. Yes, he does. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, like, you look at the, the – in the movie and, like, the southern soldiers who are on the train right here, right? Like, they're – they're very ragged and it looks like they haven't showered in days or whatever. And then you see like the Northern Cavalry when they ride in to capture the Raiders later on in the movie, they look like they were wearing like fresh press suits. That's often a thing you'll see in civil war films is like, you'll see the Southern army, you know, look like they're raggedy and, and all this kind of thing. And the, the Northerners look like they just got out of the dry cleaner. These are things you notice when you grow up in the South. <laughs> 
And most of that's probably true, by the way. Because <laughs> a lot of the Southerners were uh, trying to were, were trying to fight, even though some of them had no clue what they were doing. But anyway, so they, they make it to Marietta, uh, and in Marietta they are staying at a hotel, which, again, you can go to if, you, if you're down this way. You can go check it out. Um, the hotel itself is not there, but the buildings are there. Uh, the bottom floor of the building is the Gone with the Wind Museum. I, I, I make no comment on that. Uh, and, but I, I actually worked in that building one summer, so uh, I got to see where this all took place. And they, they're, you know, they, they eat breakfast and they're talking over the plan, which is they're going to hijack the first three cars of the train, um, take off, destroy the tracks, um, and cut the telegraph wires and the bridges all the, all the way into Virginia. So they're, they're going to go to Chattanooga and then head you know, north to Virginia to cut off the railways. Uh, Campbell, of course, wants to fight. He does not want to do all this subterfuge. But Andrews basically says, like, look, if you want to make this mission successful, the best way to do that is, is not to kill anybody because that's going to draw notice to us. The best way to do that, to do this, is like if we cut the wires, we burn the bridges, you know, we'll be gone before anybody figures out what's happened and we'll, get, we'll do the most damage to everybody. Good plan. Okay. Hey, it's not a bad plan. If, if not for William Fuller, it probably would have succeeded. I guess so. And, I mean, we'll talk about Fuller, but I don't think anybody would have been able to predict that. <laughs> no. I do love how he, like, runs after the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. And so the next morning in, in Marietta, you know, they're getting on the train and, uh, of course, they can't speak to each other because they have to pretend that they don't know each other. And Campbell is sort of refuses to get on the train because he's like, no, I just want to kill him. Uh, but eventually, as the train is leaving the station, he runs and jumps on the train. Again, we have no evidence that any of this actually took place. There was two of the Raiders in real life who actually missed the train because they overslept. Yep. Not quite as heroic as portrayed in the film. Wasn't me. I was up. All right, good. <laughs> that's one of those things that, like, when they tell you this story, they don't go, "Yeah," and two of the guys overslept. That's not. That's not generally in the in, in, the, in the story. They don't have a historical marker. And they do not. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny though. Like if they just put like some a historical marker in the square over here in Marietta, and they put uh, you know a couple pillows nearby <laughs> to symbolize it. <laughs> It's like the Black Adder of the Civil War. Exactly. <laughs> I like that comparison. <laughs> and so uh, while they're on the train, Fuller, who is the conductor, sits down next to Andrews and says, you know, there's something suspicious because all of these men got on in Marietta. First of all, nobody gets on in Marietta, uh, which I can attest to. If you Marietta, for, for those of you who are trying to place it, is probably by train about 16 miles or so north of Atlanta. So at the time, yes, there probably would have been no reason for anybody to be in Marietta. So 20 people getting on the train would have been very suspicious. And they're all pretending they don't know each other, says Fuller. And he, he's and Andrew says, well, why are you asking me about this? And he says, well, because you, you're with them. So Fuller in the, in the movie is very, very sharp. You know, he picks up on that something's not right here pretty quickly. And Andrew shows him this fake letter uh, that says that they are carrying out secret orders from General Beauregard. I don't know where he got the letter from, but 
hey, hey, they probably captured it off a soldier, you know. Yeah, something like that. Those are the kinds of details you shouldn't you shouldn't worry about when watching this. Yeah, it's also <laughs> they don't talk about like the letter is something that's made up for the movie anyway because it's not actually yes. discussed in any background that I've read or anything like that. So. No, no, none. Of, Fuller Fuller caught on to the plot when the train pulled out of the station and he was eating breakfast. Yeah, though though I guess Andrews and Fuller did talk that that was yes. thing. So yeah, because he was the conductor, so yes. it would be suspicious not to talk to him in those days. And so when they get off at the breakfast stop in Big Shanty, which, again, if you come to, uh, to Georgia today, that is uh, Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, the town of Big Shanty is now named Kennesaw. And the museum, which is where the general, the, the actual general that was stolen in the raid uh, resides today, is, is there. It is in the, the Southern Museum of Locomotive and Civil War History. And then you can see the whole setup of where this all took place. Um, while everyone was eating breakfast, Andrews and his team, you know, take off in the train. Fuller sees the train taking off, puts down his biscuit, which I have to say shows his dedication because Southern men don't put down their biscuits. No, they don't. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> especially not those. They looked really good in the movie, I should say. And he starts running after them along with uh, the engineer of the train and, I guess, an, another official. We don't really know, ever find out who those other two people are. Yeah, though, I, yeah he, though there were other men that ran after him, but I guess they gave up the chase yeah. before he did. So. <laughs> and so, like, literally, he chases the train on foot. Now, again, like Todd said earlier, this, all, everything that you see Fuller do in the movie actually happened. We don't know for sure, like, how they portray it in the movie is how it happened, but, like, he did all of these things in that order. So he runs after the train on foot, uh, trying to catch him, and he reaches the next station, and they're, they're trying to reach the next station, uh, but because, like you said, they don't have a telegraph at Big Shanty. So they're trying to get to the next station, which is Alatoona. Um, and again, I just did a triathlon there last year. Yeah, it's about 10 miles, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. By train. Yeah. It's probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably right. Um, but it's it, Alatoona is there's a big it's a big lake area. Right. So the train tracks are actually on the other side of the lake um, in this area. So you would you would pull the train up in Alatoona. That was the next place that had a uh, a telegraph. And so in between there, Andrews and the team cut the cut the wire. So that they couldn't radio ahead because that in the, in those days was the only way to communicate up the line that every station would communicate when the train pulls in, they would telegraph up to the next station saying, okay, the, the northbound train is here, you know, on schedule for, you know, whatever was next, right. The, the next stop. Yeah. And because they didn't do that, that actually caused Andrew's team, uh, some problems as they went through in real life that, that caused them some issues. Uh, because they they were never when they pulled into the the stations every station they pulled into in real life asked them where Fuller was. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and he had to explain why he had the authorization to drive the train over and over again, which actually slowed them down even more for Fuller to catch up to them. Yeah, well, like they they show that in the movie, the one at the one stop, the guy actually says, "Okay, well, you pull your train over here till we figure this out." Right. Well, that's the isn't that the uh, the Adairsville stop where they have to pull onto the siding anyway to wait for the the next freight train? Yeah, pretty pretty much. But he's like also like you guys aren't going anywhere. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Fuller and and everyone, you know, uh, you know the men are, the men are happy. Um, the 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 men on the train the, on the general are huddled into a boxcar. So Andrews and and a couple of folks are in the engine, but everyone else is huddled into a boxcar so that when they pull up into the station, nobody will notice, you know, what's going on. But so that they can also take people by surprise if there if there is trouble. And like we said, they get questioned everywhere, but so far. Uh, the, nothing happens. But Andrews actually stops along the side of the road where somebody is repairing the uh, the rails and actually convinces them that Beauregard needs their railway tools so that so that he can <laughs> use them to destroy the rails as they go along. Yeah, clever. Yeah, he's a, I think he's a much smoother at, talker in the movie, I think, than he was in real life. Yeah, at at some point in here, there's a line about how like he didn't even really need to trick them; they probably would have just handed the train over to him. Yeah, it's Pitt, Pittenger says, you know, we probably we didn't we don't need to attack the South, uh, you know, yeah. if we if Andrews asked, they just give it to him. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah, I agree. So they they do that. They get into Alatoona and again get questioned. And along the way, after uh, Fuller runs past the guys who gave him the tools, uh, they manage to get a a push cart. So if you're not familiar with what that is, it's just basically like a, a set of wheels that's fixed to the train track with a, a, a flat bo- set of boards on top of it. And you take a pole and push it like you're pushing a raft down the Mississippi. It's worth a seesaw that's on, on top of on wheels. Well, except it's flat. It doesn't go up and down. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, if both people push, it goes up and down. No, 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 that's not, no, it's not that it type of push car. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was not that type of push car. It was, it was a completely manual push car. Okay. Yeah. So Fuller, Fuller had some great arm strength. He really did. He, yeah. had, he had a lot of strength all around. Let's face it. Yeah, that guy was more in shape than any of us are probably ever going to be. I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there. Yeah, and as I said about the remake, potential remake of this, I vote Dominic Cooper should be playing this character in the remake because he's great at playing handsome, somewhat charming, morally ambiguous characters. (laughs) (laughs) That is a fair point. I mean, it is hard to tell. From an outside perspective, I understand what Fuller's motivation was, but from a movie perspective, it's really hard... His motivation is to get his train back. Yes. That was his whole motivation. He didn't, yes. yeah. he didn't care what, t- what side. And he, I don't think he cared about the side that they were on. I really don't. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I, I agree. And, and he's also irritated that the guy tricked him. That he said to his face, this is what we're doing, and I'm on your side, and it turned out that he wasn't. Pretty much, yeah. And so, you know, he's on the he's on the push cart. Fuller's chasing them, and then the next stop along the way is the Adairsville stop, which we've kind of touched on a little bit briefly. But the idea is that those guys, the general, had to pull off onto the siding. So, if you're not familiar with railroad terms, that's basically they they're going up. Like we said, there's only the one tracks north and southbound, so they have to pull off to the side and wait for the southbound train to come through, so that they can then proceed north because otherwise, crash. Yes. And that would be bad. Uh, and this is where things start getting really suspicious. So Fuller has 
has not been able to radio ahead to Adairsville to tell them that the Yankees stole his train, as he says multiple times throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, but everybody, everybody in Adairsville, because this is obviously a big stop since it has a sighting, knows that this is Fuller's train, and they're asking where he is, what's in the boxcars. You know, this is where people are starting to get suspicious. And so Andrews is trying to talk his way out of it, but he sends one of the guys back to the guys in the boxcar and says, like, look, you got to be ready. We might have to, you know, jump some people and take care of business here. And that this is the slowest part of the movie for me. I don't know about for you guys. Yeah. They're at this stop a long time. Yeah. Because the rest of it actually moves pretty quickly and it, it – it moves, but it's also got a nice kinetic energy because, like, pretty much from the time they are uh, headed south after the inn part, everything is either is somewhat in motion, right? They're on a train or they're stealing a train or Fuller's pushing the cart. You know, like, there's a nice motion to everything. And here it just sort of stops. Yeah. I think that they probably could have upped the tension here if they would have really played up maybe the claustrophobic nature of being in that that train car altogether, um, maybe gone for some really tight shots, um, emphasized, you know, them having to be quiet and everything. But as it is, they go for these really medium or wide shots to kind of get everyone in the picture. And it just kind of feels like they're hanging out. Like they're just kind <laughs> yeah, of, it does. like, eh, I guess we're going to be here for a while. Let's, you know, just play some cards or something. You, you don't really get a sense of real danger at that point. Yeah. Also, quiet is not their strong point. Like anybody, no. <laughs> anybody walking by that cart would have heard them all talking. I don't understand why this is going on in the movie. Right. <laughs> well, and this is the point at which Campbell's like, "Yeah, forget it. Let's all jump out and you know start start killing people. You know that kind of thing." Uh, and that doesn't exactly you know take place, of course. But it's it's just basically the place where he is trying to get everybody to see that that Andrew's plan isn't going to work in his mind. You know, he's still trying to sort of incite a riot. And he's getting pretty close to it when finally the southbound train comes through. And, like, at the same time, everybody's still questioning Andrew's quite a bit. And this is the point, like you were talking about, Todd, where the guy's like, "Let's, you're just going to stay here until we can sort everything out. And the southbound train comes through and Andrew's is like, oh, good. All right, we're out of here. <laughs> Runs back onto the train and, and they well, head like on their way. There's like two southbound trains that come through, right? It's not the first yeah. one, it's the, it's second, the second one. Correct. Because I don't really think he, again, he was, he was a citizen, so he really didn't come looking for a fight. You mean Andrews? Yes. Yeah, I think, I think his, well, and also I think it's just the plan, right? Like it works better if nobody notices what he's doing. But you know they say they like they want to incite like a riot and 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 that's like well what does that do other than get people killed and you know maybe get them all killed? Yeah. Well, in real life they didn't they were they didn't enter into any skirmishes until they were captured, just like in the movie. So. Yep. Yeah. So they they continue on past Adairsville. Uh, Fuller pulls into the into the Adairsville station by pushcart. So and. Just so you guys understand kind of what we're talking about here, the distance between Alatoona and Adairsville, you guys are probably looking at the map, but like just off the top of my head, that's probably a good 20, 25 miles. You know, like having to having to drive it myself. So like he did that push cart for that far. Yeah. 
And again, as we said, like in real life, the whole thing was only seven hours, so he did it very quickly too. Yeah, I mean, William Fuller is in shape, is what we're saying. <laughs> he should like if he were around today, he would do the William Fuller workout video, and none of us would be able to do it. Fuller camp. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first you're going to run seven miles, then you're going to then you're going to bike for you know twenty miles. It's the William Fuller triathlon. At least at the end of it, you get to ride a train. True. Yes. Because that's his next step. He's, <laughs> he commandeers an engine. The Yona is the one that he commandeers. Um, and that, that one is still around somewhere, I believe. Yeah, they're all over. They're pretty much all near their starting points. Yeah. For the most part. So. Well, the next one that he commandeers, which is the Texas, we'll talk about where that one is. That one's actually nowhere near where he picked it up, but, um, but that's okay. It's... Well, relatively speaking, but anyway, uh, he commandeers the Yona, and which is not a not a big engine like the General or the Texas, which is the next train that 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 uh, he commandeers. This is a smaller, um, not designed for carrying freight train. Like this is a smaller sort of shuttle between stations kind of a train. I don't know the technical terms for what it would be, but a much smaller engine, and he uses that to chase them. Uh, the next, the farther on down the line, and then picks up the Texas at the next station, which is also it's Calhoun, to note that I believe. Fuller is also picking up soldiers everywhere he stops. Yeah, <laughs> well, soldiers and random guys. Like there's at, at the point he picks up the Yona, there's just two dudes standing by the side of the road, and he goes, "Come on, Yankee stole my yep. train!" And they just take their coats <laughs> off on the train. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, probably was all that we would have taken in that time frame. So, what else have they got to do? Hey, we could stand around or we can ride a train. Yeah. And so Fuller and his men don't actually know they're being pursued at this point. And it's not until the Texas um, that, that Fuller picks up at the next stop um, that that starts coming towards them, that they see that they're being followed. And they don't real, they're, they're wondering, like, how is this even possible? Um, which is a fair concern because, you know, as we said, other engines should not be coming that close to them, right? Because of the way the railroads ran at that time. And as far as they know, they've covered all their tracks. Uh, but Fuller picked up the Texas um, up, you know, north of Adairsville. The Texas is actually on display in Atlanta right now. You can go well, the, see at the, Grant Park. Yeah, the schedule got messed up, right? Because they said something at one point about that Mitchell started moving his troops in, which was caused. They were, they were doing supply runs out of places that were being taken. Yes, correct. That's why there were two trains when there should have only been one. Right. At one point. Yep. No, that's right. At the Adairsville stop, that's right because Mitchell Mitchell moved in earlier, knowing that the raid was going. So again, you have to remember, like they didn't have any way to communicate back then. So everything was just based on timing. Uh, and like we said earlier, there was actually rain uh, the day that the the attempt took place and there was rain earlier so the raid actually took place a little bit later than they had meant to initially but yes uh so so fuller picked up the texas like i said the texas is on display you can go see it at grant park in atlanta it's in the uh, cyclorama building in the lobby uh, i've been there a couple times it's a very nice engine if you want to go see it so you can pretty much if you if you come down here, you can pretty much trace the entire Andrews raid in about seven hours. You know what they should do? I just came up for an idea. Copyright Joe Promo two thousand fifteen and Adventures by Disney Great Motor Local Chase. 
Yes. I there you go. I, I was actually going to suggest that we have a big um, a field trip to all these places and end it with mm. some uh, biscuits and fried chicken. But before the biscuits, you realize you get to stand where they were, where Campbell and the other men were hung, except Andrew was hung in Atlanta. So, Yes, there's a historical marker there. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah, downtown Atlanta, basically, because that's how we did things back in the 1860s. <laughs> Hey, you know, don't no TV. Might have got to do something. <laughs> this is true. You had to entertain yourself, I guess. So uh, the the next bit of the film is kind of the real. This is the real. Like, if you want to say the great locomotive chase, like this is the part of the film that's actually locomotives chasing each other. Because what's going on is Andrews is trying to get Fuller off his case and slow down his pursuers. So. You know, the first thing he tries is he uncouples a box car to slide it back into Andrew into Fuller. Fuller actually backs the engine up to sort of quote unquote catch it. Right? So he catches the box car and then they just keep going. And we should note that the Texas is going backwards. Right? Because the Texas was one of the southbound engines. So they actually make it go backwards to chase them. Yeah, it's also clever because as they like, they dump their own box cars, and then as they catch box cars from Fuller, they dump them as they go through towns, and this goes on for a couple times. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and they just keep keep going, keep going. At one point, they actually, you know, try to uh, set one of the box cars on fire and send it towards him. Um, then they set another one on fire later, but you know, they actually try to send one on fire. He moves that out of the way. And what starts to happen is that Andrews, because they can't stop at any of the stops or anything to get more wood, they start running out of fuel. And so when they, when they pass the bridge, the first bridge that they're supposed to destroy, they set that bridge on fire and send that back – or set the boxcar, I should say, on fire to set the bridge on fire. And Fuller just drives up into the bridge, you know, kind of – Push, knocks the fire, the, the burning boxcar out of the way, pushes it out of, you know, so that there's more oxygen, right? So that the fire is not in the covered bridge area. And then he just keeps going. Like the guy yep. is relentless. <laughs> but by the way, that's the Ustanula River Bridge. Mm-hmm. And that, that thing, while the, the main supports for it still stand today, supporting the, exist, the bridge that's there today. So I would say I've been there too, but you probably guessed that as well. I, I, I'm pretty sure you've been to Georgia. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I just assume that. Yeah, at some point in my life, I've been to most of these places <laughs> more than once. Well, I mean, the point at which this is, it's it's important to note. Like, you're at this point, you're actually closer to Chattanooga than you are to Atlanta, right? Because Chattanooga is about uh, an hour and a half drive from Marietta. So at this point in the film and in the actual chase, you're much much closer to Chattanooga than you are to Atlanta. Um, and the final area where they where they were actually captured uh, near Ringgold, Georgia, is, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, a good half marathon away from from Chattanooga. Yeah, and that's what, that's what they were trying to get to Chattanooga because that's where Mitchell was supposed to meet them, and they were supposed to say, "Hey, we did it." Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, they they knocked the the burning bridge out of the way, and finally. You know, uh, when when that doesn't stop them, Andrew sees Fuller behind them and realizes, all right, we're going to run out of wood, which they do, and we're going to have to figure out a way to get out of here. So, all right, guys, it's time for your fight, right? It's time for the big fight that you've all been spoiling for. 
they climb out from the boxcar, you know, kind of get their guns ready. They hide behind everything, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the Northern Cavalry shows up in their freshly pressed suits, and uh, Andrews tells everybody to run away to try to avoid being captured, which does not work. Not the best ambush on their part, because they got ambushed. Yes. And so they all spread out into the countryside, you know, trying to run away and trying to get away, and they scatter, and, you know, Andrews tells them, you know, just pretend you're from Flemingsburg and try to join the army, and you can sneak your way back at some other point, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, And what we actually find is Pittenger. We see Pittenger get captured by uh, General Beauregard's army, and he gets marched in front of General Beauregard and says, oh, yeah, I want to join. I'm from Flemingsburg, Kentucky. And the guy kind of shares a look with somebody else, marches him to a room and says, funny, all these guys seem to be from Flemingsburg, Kentucky. And, of course, it's all the Raiders. They caught them all. Yeah. That's an, I, it, you would think that would be harder to do. Yeah, well, they really just had grass to hide in. I mean, come on. Well, at this point, no, they're like in the North Georgia mountains. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of places they could have hidden. Uh, it just seems like they were not very good at hiding. Yeah. Or they tried to stay too close to the train tracks or something like that. You know, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's lots of documentation about that. I just haven't ever bothered to go that deep into the story. Uh, but they they all get imprisoned and eventually are sent to Atlanta to be court-martialed and in the in the film and they escape basically a lot of the raiders escape they get out of their shackles and manage to escape they're singing to the uh to the warden basically yeah and they have to keep singing and then tenting on the old campground and so they have to keep singing so that he doesn't hear them unlock their shackles and when he comes to get them the next morning to put them in front of the firing squad uh, they all manage to rush the guys with muskets. Um, some of them get over the wall, but Andrews stays back to fight. And Campbell, as he's going over the wall, he's, he runs back to fight to help Andrews and, I guess, save him momentarily? they both get captured, right? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure what Campbell's motivation was other than he didn't want to leave somebody behind. Campbell wanted to fight. True, he did. Yeah. Apparently, he also didn't want to live. Yeah, true. Um, but they are they are captured, both he and Campbell. And eventually, uh, a majority of the guys are captured, although Pittenger gets away. You know, there's a there's yeah. a there's probably 10 of them, I would say, in the movie. And in real life, it was more uh, are captured. Yeah, in real life, they were held a lot longer and they were moved around a lot. They were exchanged from the prisoners. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a majority of them were... Uh, exchanged, captured, uh, you know, various and sundry different things. Some of them did actually escape. Um, that's true. But I don't think it, like you were saying, Todd, I don't think it took place quite the way it did here. Yeah. yeah. And right before he's getting ready to get hanged, Andrews actually asked to see Fuller. And they, he asked, says basically that at some point this war is going to be over. Uh, and Northerners and Southerners, he doesn't say that, but, you know, people are going to have to shake hands and ask to shake Fuller's hand. Says, you know, he really hated having to deceive him, but that was, you know, his orders and that was what he had to do. And so they shake hands and we don't actually see them hang in the movie. Nope. No. Nope. We just basically flash, go back to Pittenger and the Secretary of War uh, in his office and he says, you know, Andrews was a, a good good man and, and, and a hero which is debatable, but 
Yeah. It's debatable whether anybody in this story was actually in the right, but that's okay. It was war. It was yeah. a civil war. <laughs> I don't know how civil it was. No, that's not what civil meant at all when they said civil war, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no. It had to do with the fact that they were conscripting armies and stuff like that. So. Yep. Yeah. But but I mean I think the thing that you have to understand about the, the this film we've said it a few times is like this is not a like this this film could have been about the War of eighteen twelve for as much as it references you know the, the only thing that really makes you understand the Civil War is that it's the North fighting the South. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's much more about the action of the of the chase and the train and and all that kind of stuff. In the logistics. Yeah, it is, it's true. It is a movie that's heavy on logistics. I wonder if UPS wants to remake this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be seeing this movie remade with airplanes soon. Yeah. Well, if they do a remake, uh, all I can say is I would love James Mangold, who did 310 to Yuma, to do this. Because, again, another great movie involving trains. You know, they could do pick, John Lasser wants to do a movie with, with, with um, trains next. Could, there you go. They could do something along <laughs> the animated way and find a way of more justifying the scenario. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, with talking trains. I mean, that would be a unique take on it. That's true. Yeah. If it if it had a whole bunch of Confederate Southern trains, can you imagine? All right. So uh, I believe that's that's most of what we have to say about the Great Locomotive Chase. Let's let's rate this. Uh, how about Rachel? Why don't you take the first stab at it? Okay. Um, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna actually be pretty generous with this one. I was kind of going between two and a half and three stars on it, but I'm gonna give this one three stars. I'm very happy that I saw it. I think that um, of the historical Disney movies from this era, I think this is one of the better ones. I also think it was really gutsy for Disney to do a historical movie like this that doesn't have a romantic interest and honestly was a mission that ultimately failed. Um, so having you know a very decidedly unhappy ending to it, I think, was really gutsy. So I'm going to give this three stars, and I would really love it actually if Disney in their live action stuff maybe tried making a couple more movies like this yep. again I am I'm fully on board for a remake of this if Disney feels so inclined all right Todd what about you um I don't like it that much look I I I knew the story. I'm, you know, I like the actual reality of the story. It's just kind of cool to know that this was even something that was attempted. Because uh, I think that it is, despite that it failed, the whole concept of it is kind of cool when you think about it, what they tried oh, to do. Yeah. I totally agree, yeah. But there's something about the pacing of this movie, and I don't think the actors are really on game because their characters have no character development. And so for me, I'm just at two stars. All right. Cheryl, what about you? I'm going with the 2.8. Um, the only thing that could be this better is BBS drinking Fest Parker wine during this podcast. Maybe, maybe if we all had some Fest Parker wine, we would have, we could get some higher ratings. Um, but I, I really did like this. I, like I said, I'd go, I'd go, I went into knowing nothing. And I felt I learned something, and I I forgot after reading on Wikipedia, I felt I learned it accurately, 
which is a big thing for Disney folks. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, a lot of stuff you don't as as in I will say happiest millionaire. Um, you know, stuff is always isn't always accurate. At least they made the effort to make this accurate, and they made it watchable. I mean, this and it's because like Ten Who Dared was is less watchable than this. Um, I think if it were like on, um, if let's say TCM does the nights again, I would definitely go tape it. I wouldn't pay the three bucks again for it. No, but I mean, yeah. but if I saw it on TC, like TCM did the movie night where they did all these old movies and they said, oh, we're going to do these movies. And I'll, I would make an effort to tape it and watch it again. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but uh, as a person who knows the story and has heard it all his life, you know, I and would give it a polishing the train right now. <laughs> I, I actually probably could. <laughs> if, if I really wanted to, I could probably go and find that. Uh, but, but no, I won't do that. Uh, but uh, as a movie, though, I would have to give it a three for a lot of the things you guys mentioned, which is, you know, like there's no character development. You, the characters are practically interchangeable with the exception of maybe Andrews and Fuller. Every other character you could kind of switch around quite a bit, um, even Campbell and Pittenger to a degree, but not not entirely. But I mean, like you don't really care too, too much about what happens here. Um, I would say, honestly, my biggest problem with the movie has always been and remains is that you know that there's a northern conspiracy and a confederate conspiracy but the person who acts the most heroic in the movie is the confederate and then the northern the northern person you know is being the spy and like they're both doing quote unquote right in what they're supposed to do so it's hard to really have a rooting interest in the movie if that makes sense it's Let's a little all- bit of a uh, Jean Valjean and uh, Inspector Javert sort of dynamic going on because yeah, yeah technically he I mean, the guy's doing exactly what he should be doing, which is trying to get this train. And the other guy happens, Andrews happens to be lying to him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, that's actually the conversation that they really have at the end when they shake hands. Yep. Is, is saying that. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's a fun, um, interesting, you know, movie. Uh, but I, I think it's held back by some of those things. But in the end, you know, I think it's one of those things that you guys are going to really enjoy watching. So I think you should uh, go check it out. It's it's just fun. It's not anything that you have to. It, it's sort of like a '50s version of a popcorn movie. Is probably the best way to put it. They didn't really do popcorn movies the way we talk about them now in the '50s. <laughs> <laughs> But that's sort of what it is, right? You don't care about the characters or anything like that. You just like watching, you know, the trains chase each other and all that good stuff. So, yeah. All right. So uh, that is our review of the Great Locomotive Chase. We'd love to hear what you guys think or uh, anything that you want to want to share with us about the story or, or the movie. We'd love to hear from you. Go leave a comment in the show notes over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Uh, you can tweet us at DizFilmProject. You can always find us on Facebook at Disney Film Project, or you can email us uh, at DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Uh, listen to the show on iTunes or any other podcast aggregator or some of the things that you guys might know. Um, or you can, of course, listen on Stitcher or Diz Dads Radio, but wherever you listen, uh, we would appreciate it if you guys would go and find – uh, a place to leave a rating or review on iTunes that helps people find the show. So we would appreciate that. All right. So that's going to do it for this week's episode for Rachel and Todd and Cheryl. I'm Ryan. We'll see you again soon. 
Let me tell you this. If you can't drink their toasts and sing their songs, left Jeff Davis and hate Abe Lincoln by next Friday, you'll never reach Marietta. Mr. Andrews, if you ever want any help on a Secret Service mission, don't forget the name of Pinger, William Pinger. Don't you worry about any deserters. I'll take care of your train. I never met a Kentuckian so plainly from Massachusetts. 